to preface this sermon and beef, what's going on, Mark? <laughs> I can't find my pen. Man needs a pen. Can we got a pen? Here, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good thing we got now that Mark's ready. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. To preface this sermon and before we pray again together, I, I want to establish this as being absolute truth and, and clear <clears throat> that our salvation is completely and totally the work of God. We have done, neither can we do anything to earn this salvation. It's not owed to us. We are not entitled to it. Our faith is a gift of God granted to us by his great grace. The things that we will talk about today are in response to this work of grace and are intended to equip us to better glorify our creator and find greater joy in him in this life. Pray with me. Father in heaven, you are so good to us. Thank you, God, for the privilege, the honor that you have granted to me this day to speak of so great a salvation to my brothers and sisters. God, to be a conduit of, of your love, your grace, your truth to them. God, I pray that we would be challenged. I pray that correction and rebuke would happen as necessary. God, that I would rightly represent your truth in the words that I share here this day. To you alone be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Would you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 5? We're going to pick up in verse 21. What verse did you say? 21. 21. 21. <laughs> Proverbs 5, verse 21. It states, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he has led astray. Man, what a, what a word picture. One more time. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he has led astray. I'd like to focus on this statement in the beginning of verse 23. He dies for lack of discipline. As I studied this past week and I looked up the definitions of some words and some terms that, sure, we know what they mean and we use them in our today, you know, day-to-day -day conversation. I was blown away by the definition that I found of this word discipline. And it was clearly established as the habit of obedience. Discipline is the habit of obedience. 
Proverbs 20, I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 23, tells us that a man dies for his lack of being able to establish habits of obedience. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to pick up reading in verse 25. 24. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So Paul, speaking to the church at Corinth, he says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one receives the prize. I think of the words of Jude, who said, contend earnestly for the faith, brothers and sisters. I think of the words of Paul, that say strive, that he strove, was striving according to Christ working, that worked in him mightily. The words to follow hard after the Lord. He says in verse 25 that every athlete exercises self-control in all things. To a certain extent, we all enjoy or at least can appreciate high-level athletes. The Olympics, professional sports, most view these men and women that participate in sports at this high level as physical anomalies or outliers, uniquely gifted. And indeed, I believe some of them are. But the more common attribute of those who excel is who wants it more who is willing to work harder for it, who will get up earlier, devote more time, push themselves harder, endure longer, eat better, and all this from a sheer desire to be the best at something. Who will discipline themselves and form habits of obedience to reach their desired goal. But Paul goes on to tell us that they do this to receive a perishable crown. But we, an imperishable. Brothers and sisters, I find this deeply, deeply challenging. That if the unregenerate, unbelieving, self-serving man is able to discipline himself in this way for his own glory, how much more so 
should we as those who have been brought from death to life, empowered by the risen Christ, to overcome the flesh just as he overcame the grave to the praise of his glory. Paul says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. I don't strive for earthly purpose or worldly pursuits, seeking the emptiness of my own glory. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. You know, the literal Greek on this statement, I discipline my body and keep it under control, could be translated, I pummel my body and make it a slave. Another translation would say, I beat my flesh into subjection. Paul would tell us in Romans chapter 8, verse 13. He says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The King James Version would tell us to mortify the deeds of the body. Put to death. Paul continues in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, lest after, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I refuse to preach this to you and fail to discipline myself to walk therein. I have a question for you, church. Is it biblically correct to say that Jesus died willingly. Absolutely. I hear this. I hear this a lot. <clears throat> and I think I disagree with Mark. And I'm sure we'll talk about this in the elders' meeting. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Is it biblically correct to say that Jesus died willingly? I think that we need to define some terms here. Because I believe that to make the statement that Jesus died for me willingly is to paint an inaccurate picture of Christ and his example that we are to imitate. There are particular pitfalls and traps within the Christian faith. Some of these are feelings, passions, encounters with God, emotionalism, Oh, I'm so in love with Jesus. Willingness paints a picture that we feel like doing something, therefore we do it. And by definition, willingness means to be self-moved. Done, born, or accepted by choice or without reluctance. Done, born, or accepted by choice or without reluctance. Self-moved. Now, making the case in, for Christ's willingness, of course, Dustin, you would say, well, what about the words of Jesus recorded in John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18? Jesus says, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. 
I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. From this within context, we see that Jesus was stating the fact that no man possessed the power to take his life from him. As being fully God and fully man, as God, he held this authority, this will, and this power. Yet as a man, his will needed to be broken and brought into obedience. There is a particular beauty, I believe, to, to willingness. It expresses a desire to do, to do good. Yet, practically, this willingness seldom first appears as such. The desire to do good is rooted in obedience first. And as we establish our obedience, it shapes our will. What is of much higher value and much greater beauty than willingness is obedience. By definition, obedient or obedience is to be ruled by, to submit to the power of, control, or influence of. As a ship obeys her helm. For the younger ones here who may not understand what a helm is, it's a lever or a wheel that is attached to the rudder of a ship. And the rudder is that little thing in the back of the boat that turns the ship. Obedience is like a ship that obeys its helm. Wherever that rudder turns, the ship follows. Paul would tell us in Romans chapter 6, verse 16, that you are the slaves of the one whom you obey. Paul again in Philippians chapter 5, sorry, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, encourages us, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That is to say that he did not use his Godhead as an advantage to escape his suffering. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, notice this, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. If you would like, you could turn to, to Luke chapter 22 with me. I'm going to pick up in verse... 42. <clears throat> In Luke 22, we find our Lord Jesus with his disciples. 
in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we know that he told them to stay in this certain place, to watch and to pray, lest they enter into temptation. He said, because the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. But picking up in Luke 22, verse 42, Jesus prays this. And Matthew tells us that Jesus prayed these same words three times. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. I wonder if this paints an accurate picture of willingness on Christ's part. He was in such agony for what he knew was coming that the very blood was pushed through his pores and he cried out to his father if there be any other way for me to not have to suffer and be mutilated let this cup pass from me nevertheless not as I will but your will be done and as I said Matthew records that he prayed these words three times. In these verses, we see the very real struggle between Christ's will as a man and his obedience to the greater will of the Father. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. If Christ, being the very Son of God, learned obedience through what he suffered, do you suppose to think that it will be any different for you or I. Paul would tell Timothy to share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Train yourself to endure suffering. To obey the greater will of the Father. For he set this example for us. In the prophecy recorded in Isaiah 53 of Christ's crucifixion, it says that it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And in Isaiah 50, verses 6 and 7, another beautiful prophetic section of Scripture, it says, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. 
but the Lord God helps me. Therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. Luke would say that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. What was it that would happen there? His mocking, his scourging, his crucifixion. And yet, he established habits of obedience and disciplined himself and set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. I'd like to take a moment and talk to you about discipline. We define the terms willingness and obedience how they're alike and how they're different. Remember what Proverbs 25, 23 said. That a man dies for lack of discipline. Discipline being establishing habits of obedience. Or to expand on that definition a bit, control gained by enforcing obedience. Discipline is severe training that corrects, molds, or perfects the mental faculties or moral character. Discipline can be defined as self-inflicted, voluntary corporal punishment. Physical punishment of oneself. Think back about what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. What did he say? I'm not one that runs and merely beats the air for some imperishable crown. He says, I beat my flesh into subjection. He says, I pummel my body and make it a slave. Put your flesh to death that you might truly live. No one likes pain. At least no one in their right mind. Given that there are um, three Merklinger men here this day, maybe this could be argued, that there are some among us that like pain. I think that one of the key elements of Mark and my friendship over the past 20 years has been that. But do we actually enjoy pain? Yeah, you know we do. <laughs> or do we enjoy and gain, sorry, and gain great satisfaction from what it produces in us? You know, pain is the best of teachers. You can tell your child not to touch fire because it's hot. But eventually, they're going to touch fire, and they're going to get burned. And they will forever remember that. Such is the case with us. Pain is our teacher. Pain is our schoolmaster. You've heard the term, no pain, no gain. I believe that this is a very real life principle. That anything in life that's worth having is worth fighting for. 
anything in life. Like Jesus said that if, unless a seed falls to the ground and, and dies, it doesn't produce anything. But it must die in order to produce fruit. You know, in, in wrestling or grappling, there's this, it came from wrestling, there's this term, embrace the grind. And what is the grind? Jared knows a little bit about it. Mark knows a little bit about it. It's when you've pushed yourself and your opponent to the point where it's really just a matter of will. You're completely spent there's nothing left in the tank. And who wants it more? And you reach this place that I have the opportunity still as an old man on a couple times a week to be dragged into deep water with friends who push me to the place where everything that I want to do, everything within me wants to give up. And yet I refuse. You know, there was a, uh, I don't know exactly when it happened, but we can uh, blame the U.S. Marine Corps for, for this statement. Some believe it to be propaganda. But they said, and still to this day, they say that pain is weakness leaving the body. You know, I read, uh, I read something this morning. I plugged that in online just to be curious, and there was article after article on how it was propaganda and how evil it was and how horrible it was. I'm going to be honest, I stand on the other side of it. Is there not truth to this statement that pain is weakness leaving the body? Now, you can take everything to its fullest extent and say, okay, yeah, that's crazy. But is there not truth to this statement? Because the more pain I endure the more pain I'm able to endure. Therefore, pain is ridding me of my propensity to buckle under pressure. It's ridding me of weakness. Sometimes you have to be like the psalmist and grab yourself by the shirt collar, smack yourself across the face and say, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, everything that is within me, bless the Lord. Sometimes you have to beat your flesh into subjection and make it your slave. Sometimes denying of your will will feel like blood is being pushed out your very pores. Sometimes you have to starve your physical flesh to strengthen your spirit. Endure. My dear brothers and sisters, beat your flesh into subjection and yield the fruit of righteousness God has intended. The writer of Hebrews would say this, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Jesus told his disciples that if anyone would desire to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You want to follow me? I'm going to the cross. You want to be my follower? So will you. As I said in the beginning, Jude encouraged us to contend earnestly for the faith. 
Who are we contending with? Who is our opponent? Our flesh. And the world and the devil are in its corner. But the Holy Spirit is in ours. The scripture tells us that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now pummel your flesh. Beat it into subjection. And make it your slave. You know, I've heard a saying that excuses are like, beep, everybody has one. So I thought that maybe I would try to come up with a Christianized version of that that I can actually say within a sermon. Excuses are like eye holes. Everybody has them. But what we fail to see that what our excuses reveal is our lack of discipline. Excuses are like eye holes. Everybody has them. But what we fail to see is that what our excuses reveal is our lack of discipline. God created us as three-part beings, body, mind, and spirit, all intertwined and braided together. You cannot neglect one without it affecting the others. Daily, renew your mind. Exercise your body. Physical exercise. Physical exertion. Beat your flesh into subjection. And feed your spirit. A failure to discipline your flesh can often result in a failure to discipline your spirit. Some very practical advice that any natural doctor that's not trying to feed you some pharmaceutical drug that he can make money off of and that people can get rich off of, will tell you it's this simple. Eat right, sleep right, exercise. Repeat. Eat right, sleep right, exercise. Repeat. Discipline yourself. Establish habits of obedience. Fast. What is fasting? To discipline ourselves, to deny our flesh, that we might learn to discipline and deny it. the spiritual flesh. You know, the fat man is no less saved than the fit man. It's not a matter of salvation. It's a matter of putting your flesh in its rightful place. And now the fit man can just as easily worship his fitness just like the fat man can worship his food. I thought you were going to say fatness. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's applicable. And you're still awake. Yes. <laughs> you're <doing> good. <laughs> it's a matter of putting your flesh in its rightful place. It's a matter of quality and longevity of life. Not because this life is all there is. It's the satisfaction that comes through discipline 
versus the discouragement that comes from overindulgence. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. He says, Timothy, have nothing to do with irrelevant and silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily exercise or training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds the promise not for the present life only, but also for the life to come. If you had to choose between physical fitness and spiritual fitness, spiritual is the clear winner. Yet what we find is that when we discipline our mind and make the choice to discipline our bodies, that our capacity to discipline our spirit is greatly increased. Our quality of life is improved, and our ability to further the gospel is increased. We like to get on crazy cycles. I'm not eating right. I'm not sleeping right. And I'm not exercising. And what we wait for to exercise is when we feel rested enough and we feel like we have the energy to do so. But the energy to do so comes from doing so. And I have found that as I discipline my body, that it releases endorphins in my brain and it frees my mind. And then I'm disciplining my flesh, physically beating my flesh into subjection and it strengthens my spirit. And then I establish habits practically of eating right, sleeping right, and exercising. And maybe one would sit out there and look at me and just be like, oh, I, I, don't, I don't have your body type. You know, oh, I, oh look, look at that guy's just got a crazy metabolism, you know. And it's just simply an excuse. If you watch those walk by, who for an imperishable crap, for the sake of worshiping their body and their self, ripped up in incredible physical shape, and you say, oh, they're just, you know, they're an anomaly. You know, they just got a particular gift. I, I, I could never do that. You're just making excuses. Because what every situation has to do with diligent disciplined hard work and I hope that today I made a clear distinction between the spiritual and the physical I hope that I made a clear distinction that we are not earning our salvation in any way no matter how passionate that we are or how passionate that we preach this is a work of God within us as a gift of faith by His grace. 
But I believe that God would have us as his people to flourish in this life. To train ourselves to endure suffering as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. To beat our flesh into subjection. In so doing, he has designed it that we would be greater equipped to glorify him, to further his gospel, and to find great joy in doing so. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brothers and sisters here today. God, I am deeply honored once again by the blessing, the privilege that it is to be able to share your word this day. God, I pray that we would be doers of the word and not hearers only. That we would not be among those that fall into deception and deceive ourselves. That we would not be among those that make excuses physically, mentally, spiritually. But that we would endure hardship as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. That we would glorify you. That we would be examples of self-control. To the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.